Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I just so appreciate, you know, this church. Like I say, I'm the mission pastor, so I travel once in a while. But then when I'm, when I'm out there, I'll just kind of, I don't know if, you, if any of you have seen the movie that I'm going to refer to, but I'll tap my heels three times and say there's no place like home. There's no place like home. Like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. You know, and, and, and in most movies, what there is is there's some heroes and there's some villains. How many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz? They say it's like, I, I, I'm just, I am kind of curious. How many of you have not seen The Wizard of Oz, never seen The Wizard of Oz? Don't be, I just want to know because many times, a lot of times, the younger people maybe have not seen it. And so those heroes, you know, like Dorothy might be considered a hero, the lion, you know, once he gets through and he gets his courage, then he's a hero, and the tin man and the scarecrow, they're heroes. You, you remember who the villain is? The wicked witch of the West. You know, and, and we've been in a series through the book of Esther, and the title of my message tonight is Two Villains and Three Heroes. And we've been kind of taken, the book of Esther is a unique book. Part of it is because the name of God is not mentioned. Another part of it is because you can't really preach it, you know, line upon line. This will be, the, I think, the fourth message. And so it's not like somebody does chapter one and somebody else does chapter two and then chapter three, chapter four. But Pastor Dave, probably about six weeks ago, did, started with chapter one and then you kind of bleed into the, the, the rest of it. Heather Heck was here and she preached and you know, kind of did the overview, and then Pastor Bryson preached, I think, last week, week before, and, and again did kind of an overview. I'm going to do the same thing, and it's kind of like looking, if you look at a diamond from different, you know, even from different angles, then you can get a different perspective. So even though we've all kind of given a general overview, hopefully it will be from different, a different perspective. Even like we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they talk about the same story. Jesus' story, but they give a different perspective. Matthew with an audience, you know, more to the, to the Jewish people. You know, John was to, to everybody, Mark, and each one had their, Luke was a medical doctor, so he gave his insight. We're going to kind of do a little bit the same thing, but we're going to go through and, and just look at, and I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce all these, these kings right, Asawaris or Xerxes. It'd be easier in Spanish because it's more uh, phonetic. <coughs> was he a hero or a villain? What do you think? A villainous hero. Some people, if you look at him and where he was in society, they would call him a hero just because of his possessions and his positions. But let's get into Esther chapter 1. I'm going to read it starting in verse 4. While he showed, this is the king, Ahasuerus, Xerxes, somebody said Gazintite. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days, and when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven more days. 
So he starts out with this feast for six months, and then if that's not enough, we're going to go seven more days. We're going to go again. We're going to go more, more, more. We need more. And then just look at all the stuff they've got. This feast lasting seven days. You know, a lot of times we have Thanksgiving on the, I guess it's in November, you know, and so we'll have turkey, whatever. We'll have a feast, and then we'll have leftovers that whole weekend. This was six months long. And then again, for another period of time, another seven days. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with the cords of fine linen, purple to the silver rods, marble pillars, couches of gold and silver, and a mosaic pavement of porphyry marble, mother of pearl, precious stones, just the incredible splendor. Drinks were served with golden vessels, vessels of different kinds. Royal wine was lavished. Even the the descriptive words, lavished and splendor, just the exaggeration of that. When Pastor Dave, he talked about narcissism, just this being consumed with me and my pleasure and my glory. Kind of reminds me of Babylon where the Nebuchadnezzar, he looks out and he says, is this not the great Babylon that I have prepared for the glory of my majesty? And if you look around the United States, you know, we, we can see the, the prosperity that we're living in. And, the, you know, I know there's difficult time, inflation, all this kind of stuff, but either way, we're, we're doing all, you know, compared historically, compared globally, we're still doing very good. Pastor Dave, when he's talked about when narcissism rules, he says material goods are used, not invested. Material goods, I need a new car, I need a, I need a bigger house, I need a, you know, a new computer, I need material goods, just all this material goods. People are seen as disposable possessions. Now tell me if that isn't the truth. And if you read through the story of Esther, which I imagine some of you have if you've been coming here on Wednesday nights. If not, you can read through it. But the first queen, Vashti, refused to go in when she was called, and then she was pretty much just disposed of, almost like a can of Coca-Cola that I get what I need out of it, and then I just throw it away. The queen doesn't want to come into my presence when I want her to, and we'll just dispose of her. And then even, even Esther, who ended up taking Vashti's place after a while, was like, Well, she wasn't even called in to see the king, supposedly her husband, but they hadn't seen each other for 30 days. The Jewish people, and the storyline of the story, where the Jewish people were under a threat of extermination, it had been decreed that they would just be disposed of. It doesn't matter. Life isn't valuable. Just, Just my own comfort. And if it's my comfort at your cost, that's okay with me. It's totally the opposite of love. Love is your good at my expense. Love for my wife means that I take up my cross, I deny myself for her good. The lust of this world is my pleasure at your expense. And tell me if we're not living in this. You know, I said my my title is Two Villains and Three Heroes. And as I look around and I look into this story and I look in the mirror... There's times when I can see myself as one of these villains, just like, you know, just more, 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 more people disposable. Get them, get my pleasure for their good. My, my pleasure at their cost, I'm sorry. And then it's just, like Pastor Dave said a few weeks ago, it's just a decline toward destruction. Now we've got another guy, Haman. Is he a hero or a villain? Villain, okay. 
Let's read a little bit. We're going to jump up to chapter 5. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai, now Mordecai is, we'll talk about him in a little bit. Mordecai is Esther's cousin, or some people say uncle. He's the one that kind of helped her to kind of grow up, served as like a, a father figure in her life. When Haman saw Mordecai, Mordecai was a Jew in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him. He was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeras, and Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons. Look at all these sons. Look at all my possessions. You know, in modern day terms, we say, look at my house, look at my car, look at my computer, look at all my, my, my social media, look how many likes I have now. Look at this selfie that I have. His number of his sons, all the promotions. You know, sometimes even when I'm conversing with my wife, it's like I'll just, and, I, and the Holy Spirit, I think, catches me. I would hope, and I hope I could be sensitive, but you start bragging about things. Look at me, look what I did. Then Haman, verse 12, even Queen Esther let no one but me come to the feast to, with the king to the feast she prepared, and tomorrow I am also invited by her together with the king Yet all of this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zeres, and all their friends said, let a gallows 50 cubits high, it's about 75 feet high, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully to the king, with the king, to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, ha, 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 almost like the wicked witch of the West, and they had the gallows made. Haman, for me, is just uh, an, uh, an illustration of insecurity. And again, when I look at myself in the mirror, sometimes I see myself in this dude as well. Insecurity. What are you talking about? Here's some signs of insecurity. Watch this. Signs of insecurity. First of all, it's like that they think that they should be honored. There was, a, there was a moment where, where Haman was with the king, and the king wanted to honor, actually honor, wanted to honor Mordecai, but didn't tell him it was going to be for Mordecai, because Mordecai had given some news that of, a, of a plot to have the king assassinated, and Mordecai gave that news, and the king's life was saved, and then they were reading in the registry, and what can we do to somebody, and, so, and, the, and the king says to Haman... What should be done for the one who, whom the king wants to honor? And Haman is like, well, that would be me, of course. I need to be honored. They need to see what, I, what, what talents and gifts that I have. That's what they need to, you know, that's, that's just insecurity. And how many of you know that it kind of creeps into the church, too? It's like, I need to be honored. Why didn't they ask me to do the special song? Why didn't they let me be on the stage? Now, I need to be honored. I need to be recognized. And again, I see myself, see myself in the mirror sometimes. The, the people are insecure. They brag about their accomplishments and their possessions. Look what I did. First John says it this way. All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, the boasting about what we have and what we do, And it seems like, I know social media can be a double-edged sword. Yeah, we can use it to, you know, advance the gospel. We can use it to give reports. We can find out what's going on in Ukraine, et cetera. But how many of it 
how much of it is just another selfie? What selfie is gonna make me sufficiently secure? How many likes do I need to really be secure? Or do I need to brag about where I ate, brag about where I traveled, brag about, and I, listen, I'm the missions badge, you know, just selfie, selfie, let everybody see what I'm doing. Insecure people can't stand to see others honored. Haman ended up having to take Mordecai on this horse that the king had, had ridden and he had to say, thus shall be done. You know, they can't stand to see somebody else. You know, when somebody else is honored, when somebody else is recognized and you are not, it becomes a test for you to see if you really trust that God does see everything you do and that as we do it unto the least, we're doing it unto him and that our reward is with him. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter six. He said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward in heaven. And then he goes on to talk about, he goes on to talk about, you know, praying in public, don't do it. As the hypocrites, they just pray to be seen. As you give, you don't need to sound a big trumpet that, you know, look at me, look how much that I'm giving as you fast. And, and, you know, again, I'm the missions pastor, so I have to watch my own heart on this. Look at me, look where I went, look what I'm doing on missions. Look what we're, you know, and you can get into, it's, it's, it's so subtle, and it's so much of a heart thing, because the answer is not to not pray, the answer is not to not fast, you know, we're still called to fast, we're still called to pray, we're still called to give to the poor, we're still called to do missions, it's just a matter of doing it as unto the Lord. Yeah, we tell people what's going on because like Pastor Mike, he's gonna need prayer coverage. He's gonna need finances to do that. And as he informs, then yeah, we can be a part of, we can be a part of that together. It's not just him going alone, but we can do it together and you can be a part of that. He goes, gets a reward for what he's doing. If you pray, if you give, you get a reward for what you're doing. If you just be secure in the Lord, knowing that a lot of the rewards won't be seen on this side of eternity. But for me, as Haman is just that example of insecurity. That insecurity, that can become an insatiable monster. It's never gonna be satisfied. Now, all this is great, except when I see Mordecai, I'm just, you know, there's always gonna be somebody that's gonna just, well, I just, why does he get recognized? And why don't I, why don't, he needs to bow before, he needs to recognize that I'm great. Amen or I, I, I? Amen. <laughs> Okay, now what about Mordecai? Is he a hero or a villain? A hero. hero. Okay, now let's look at this a little bit. Uh, Esther 2.5. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai. We're going, I know we're going back a little bit, but I'm kind of just emphasizing the different people in this, this episode, in, this, in this, this movie, if we look at it that way. There was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Now, if we look at these, I know this, hope you, you can follow with me, but the, the name Mordecai, Mordecai, that means little man. So he's just a little guy, little man. Now his father's name, son of Jair, his name means enlightens. He enlightens the descendants of Manasseh who conquered many towns during the time of the conquest. So here's this guy, okay, what's your name? I'm little man. And who is your father? Father was a conqueror. And your grandfather? Shimei, means famous, renowned. My grandfather was famous. Son of a Benjamite, son of my right hand. 
And what was your name again? Little man. I'm just a little man. How many of you know that God has a lot of little men, little women that are going to be heroes at the end of the story? At the end of the story. Verse 6, he'd been carried away from Jerusalem among, among the captives, carried away from Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. So they had been carried away, who knows how many miles, into another land. They're taken captive. And then he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took care of her as her, as her own daughter. And so here's a guy, most of you, when I asked hero or villain, you said hero. Here's a guy whose name means little man. And he's just that faithful one that's doing faithful with his responsibilities where he is. He's got responsibilities for this girl, Hadassah, Esther. And he's just being responsible. Just day after day after day. No big show, just day after day after day. We've got members of the church. I'm thinking of Pastor Jim LaFoon's wife. Been doing Sunday school ministry for decades, decades. Day after day, just in the back. Doesn't need a lot of recognition, just day after day. She's got a reward knowing that the Lord is seeing what she's doing. And then if you continue... What we'll find is that in Esther 2, it talks about Esther had not made known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai commanded her not to make it known. Mordecai is discipling. That's what we would call discipling. He's training her. He's teaching her the way that she ought to go. She's teaching her. And then in, in Esther 4.14, this is kind of the key verse of the whole book right here. And it's Mordecai that says it. Mordecai that speaks kind of destiny and challenges, in a sense, Esther. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It was Mordecai that was kind of the, if I can use the phrase, he was the voice behind the throne. And I think that, that there's a lot of unsung heroes, not the public people, but it's the people behind that are encouraging, the people behind that are kind of just directing, the people, the, the housewives, the homemakers, the mothers who are teaching. I think of the, you know, the school teachers who are just day after day after day with a smile on their face reflecting Jesus. I think of the Uber drivers that you're driving and you know, every day you get one or two opportunities to share the gospel and you're just faithful day after day just in the little things and, and the personal ministry people that are life group leaders that are leading even a small group and discipling other people and just faithful day after day and speaking. And, and then they say, who knows if God wouldn't have you to do something and then God would have you to do something else and, and, and speaking that word even to other people. Maybe they don't like the microphone. Maybe they don't like, but that's fine. God has a great reward because they can speak life and faith and destiny into other people, a hero, an unsung hero. Now, who would you say is the main hero of this story? Some people, it's kind of quiet right now. Who's the main hero? Would it be, you know, the, book, the name of the book is Esther. And we're going to get to Esther. But I'm going to propose that the main hero 
is the invisible hero. The main hero is the one behind, behind the scenes that is in very involved in every scene. The main hero is the one who is coordinating history, even from the beginning of time and the creation through the fall, through the redemption, through Jesus coming, through the beginning of the church and the growth of the church and even through Jesus coming again, the main hero. What I'm gonna propose, the main hero, the invisible hero who's not mentioned is God himself. I said my, my title is Two Villains and Three Heroes. Let's look at this main hero. Pastor Bryson, when he preached about Esther, he said, give God credit for the coincidences. Then we'll, we will see God in the normal. And when we see God in the normal, we can hold on to him in the abnormal. Give God credit for the coincidences. Just a lot of coincidences. I mentioned that Mordecai, he had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar over to Babylon. And then after that, this other kingdom comes up. And if you, you have to study a little bit more about Nebuchadnezzar, about Babylon, take a step back and look into the book of Jeremiah, look at, take a look into like Second Chronicles, take a look into the book of Daniel, which was written during that time that they were in Babylon. And you maybe heard the verse that says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. Have you heard that verse? We see it on calendars, we see it on these little pocket promises and that kind. I know the plans that I have for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Earlier verse says, says the, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Oh, if, we go, if we just go ahead a little bit into the, onto where it says, it says, my servant... Nebuchadnezzar. How could God say my servant Nebuchadnezzar? Because there is a God in heaven that even can use evil, wicked kings. In the moment, we do not know why. In the moment, we can, all we can see is suffering and difficulty. In the moment, we just want to, God, get us out of here and kill the enemy. In the moment. And I don't know all the answers of why and how and you know what would happen. I do know that God said, my servant. Let's go on to Esther chapter two and verse nine. We'll, we'll skip ahead a little bit of what I had given these guys in the back. Just think about these coincidences. The young woman pleased him, that's Esther, had pleased the guy who had charge of all the women, Esther 2, nine. And he advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. A little coincidence. Esther 2.15, Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Esther 2.17, the king loved Esther more than all the women. She won grace and favor in his sight. How did just those little coincidences? Somehow God is working behind the scenes. Even as I, I believe that he would work behind the scenes in your life and my life. If we can recognize him in the, in the small little coincidences or what about Esther chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 
That's the night when the king couldn't sleep and he gave orders to bring the book of memorial deeds, the chronicles, the registers, the old newspapers that they would be read before the king. And it was found how Mordecai had told about, about Bigthana and Teresh and two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold. They had sought to lay hands on the king. They wanted to kill the king. And Mordecai found out how was it that that night that the king couldn't sleep. Why did they read that particular newspaper right there? That particular article amongst all the news. Little coincidences or is God, does God have his hand right there? When our sister Heather Heck preached about Esther a few weeks ago, she said God is sovereign, sovereign over history. God is intentional. God's timing is perfect. And God specializes in reversals reversals. Haman was reversed from a high position to a low position. God knows how to oppose the proud and raise up the humble. Esther was, we'll talk about Esther. Esther, of course, she was reversed. You know, Jesus, in a sense, was reversed. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might, that we might become the righteousness of God. Or I think about Jesus, although he was in the form of God, he, he didn't call to be God as something to be held on to, but he emptied himself, became obedient, became a servant, a servant even unto death. You can see Philippians 2, how he lowered himself and then God, him, God the Father raised him up again. God is a specialist in reversals. Okay, let's get to the last one. Esther, heroine or villain? Heroine. Okay, and, and if we look at what Esther had against her, she was captive in a different land. She was a woman in a place where it was, uh, women were considered property. She was a victim of sex trafficking. She was forgot about by the king, even though she was supposedly the king's wife. There was a moment where it was 30 days where she hadn't gone in. So she could see that, you could see that she had a lot against her. Sometimes it's good just for us to get into the story just a little bit. And we'll go with two more, two more I guess, sets of verses, kind of passages. First of all, Esther 4. This is when Esther is speaking uh, to Mordecai and telling Mordecai in verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the court, inner court without being called, there is but one law, he shall be put to death. This is when the Jewish people are going to be exterminated. And so Esther, if she doesn't do anything, eventually she would be exterminated because she's a Jew. If she goes into the king's palace, to the king's court, she can be exterminated. So it's like you go to the right, you die. You go to the left, you die. But then if we look at, if we look at, at verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, so she says she's going to you know, fast, she's going to pray, all that kind of stuff. And then on the third day, Esther put on her royal robe, stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. If this, if this was a movie with the, with the music, this would be the suspense music. She's going in. You know, is she going to be killed? Is she going to be mercy? Is that... that that scepter going to be given, or the law is that she goes in. She's, so it's the, that music, that suspense music. And then she goes in, and the king holds out that golden scepter. 
That's when the music would kind of, you know, you'd get some peaceful music and you know there's kind of resolution right there. And Esther, definitely one of the heroes of the story. You know, God always put him, but you know, God doesn't do things by himself as much as we kind of pray sometimes. You know, even as we, we're going to finish in a second, just some reflection questions for us. What's the impossible situation you're facing? For some, it might be impossible financially. It might be impossible relationally. There might be an impossible medical situation that you might be facing. And yes, we should pray. Yes, believe God for a miracle. For other people, it might be a situation, it's more of a question of how is God calling you to participate in his plan on the earth? Some people might be saying, you know, I really don't have an impossible. It's like, I'm doing pretty good, really, you know. It's, it's not, don't, you know, don't just say I'm depressed because I'm not. I'm really doing pretty good. Then the question might be, what is it that God is calling you to? I think a pastor might go into, once again, same thing, different city. It's been in Poland, been in Ukraine, Czech Republic now. It's impossible. Now, I've got dreams in my heart, Pastor Mike. I'm dreaming about Mexico City. I'm dreaming about Argentina. You know, it's like it's impossible. You know, we want workers. Sometimes Mike and I, we've actually kind of argued about workers. We've talked about, we've talked about, no, she needs to come here. No, I've got her. (laughs) We just want, we just want, you know, something impossible to plant a church in another city. It's like, what? what? But he learned Russian. That's a different language there now. I I would hope that we wouldn't have an American Christianity where we think that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I'll go to heaven, and while I'm here, I hope that he'll make me comfortable. Jesus has not called us to a comfortable life. He's called us to participate in his plan in advancing the kingdom. Yeah, some people, you do have an impossible, you know, you're just trying to stay alive, whether it's financially, relationally, medically, you're just trying to stay alive. But I would hope that we could hear the voice of the Lord, that we could participate with God for his plan on earth. And maybe for some of you, it might be starting a life group. That might be something just fear and trembling. It might just be, well, I don't have, that would be impossible for me. Well, good, because what's impossible for you could be possible with God. Amen. And then here's the last question. What is one, one action step that you can take? Because a lot of the miracles were done. God does the miracle, but it's almost like he's waiting for us to take a step. Some people would say, well, I'll give to missions if I had more money. I would challenge you that the opposite would be true. You'd have more money if you gave more. Same thing for me. I would start a life group if people were interested. But if you just start to shine the Jesus that is in you and speak the word that God has put in you, you'll see that those people will be attracted to Jesus. Jesus would tell people, he'd tell a cripple, he would say, stand up. And the cripple could just stay there. Well, I can't stand up. But that cripple saw something and stood up. There's a man with a withered hand, and Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And it's almost like as they stretched it out. There's another guy, he was blind, and Jesus put mud on his eyes. 
And then he said, go wash. And that as we participate with God, as we take a step of faith, and that's when God opens up the door. It's almost like if you've seen these, if you've seen these doors, there's sliding doors that go this way and there's a motion sensor right there. And as you're walking, you can see the door is closed. No, the door is closed. I can't go through there. The door is closed. That door is closed. It's impossible. There's a motion sensor there. You start walking and it'll open. God has a divine motion sensor and the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout all the earth and he's just looking to show himself strongly on behalf of those whose hearts are fully his. There's some of these rooms around the church where there's there's a motion sensor and if there's no motion in that room for, I don't know, five or 10 minutes, they're set like on a timer, it'll go off. And because I know that there's a motion sensor there, I'll just walk in just bold as a lion. It's dark. I just walk in. I get about this far in, and it lights up. God is going to light your path. You just got to start walking. If you just, no, it's dark. I can't go there. That door is, no, listen, the, the Lord's motion sensor is watching you right now. Esther had to take a step of faith. She had to, when she took that step of faith, then we can see the coincidence. We see the, man, the hand of God in the situation. What is that one step that God would have you to take? Holy Spirit is just speaking creative ideas. I'll say it one more time. What is that one step? You've been asking God to move. God, would you save my cousin? Would you save? And God's saying, yeah, I'd like to, but he needs to hear the word because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Well, he might reject me. He might accept it if you preach the word to him. You don't know until 100% of the people that you don't preach to will not accept Christ. But if you preach Christ to them, give God a chance, give them a chance. Who knows? Maybe God will be with us. Amen. What is that one step? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you are for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, that you see even the difficult situations of people. And Lord, you've seen even the dreams. You are the one that has put those dreams into people's hearts. Lord, I pray that there would be a a reviving, a rekindling of those dreams that have maybe been dormant. God, that you would just blow upon them. And Lord, that you'd show us what the next step might be. God, that we might walk by faith and trust you in all that we do, Lord. We thank you.